Welcome to Teachings in the Air. Air, air. Welcome to Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman. Coming to you from Hunkaminam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. This is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. Today I'm in partnership with a wonderful organization called the National Indigenous Diabetes Association. You know, they reached out for us to partner with them, and it's such an honor for us to do this. Because Teachings in the Air is about wellness and healing and inspiration and motivation you know, the impacts of trauma of all kinds on our people has been immense. I tell people it's like a tsunami hit us and went right across Turtle Island. You know, all of a sudden we have diseases that we never even heard about. We have substances in our lives that wasn't part of our culture, like alcohol, for instance. Before contact with Europeans, we're a very healthy people. And the word health means to be sound in mind, body, and spirit. In our mind, you know, we, we understood the importance of living with all of creation, that we all needed each other. You know, the trees need us, the animals, we need each other. We knew that in our mind, and we taught our children that. Our bodies, you know, I, I'd found out that in 1492, that the average age of a European male was 45 years of age. And it's because of their diet, uh, plague, wars, you know, and how they were living, crowded in houses and cities. And, um, meanwhile, our people were living to a ripe old age. We have elders right across the country. My great-grandfather was 105 when he passed. And that's because the way we live 
our culture means a way of life. The way we think, we think positive. The way we take care of our body, you know. We were taught how to sit. We were trained how to take care of our body. So we would not be a burden on our clans, our tribes. And our spirit was very strong. The indicators of a good spirit, healthy spirit, is that we have this incredible will to live. We want to be here. It doesn't matter what's happening. We want to participate. We don't give up. There's no quit in us. And also we have this desire to be successful. Whether it be the hunter for the community or the builder or the healer or the teacher, we wanted to be successful. And even went so far as to be successful parents or siblings or a relative. Then the third indicator for a good spirit was that we had this kindness about us. And it was reflected in our laws, like one of our laws right across Turtle Island was generosity. Oh, we have giveaways and we honor our children with names. You know, we have giveaways. We're generous people. We're kind. That's the people we come from. You know, and um, so I'm here today because I myself have had relatives with diabetes. I'm so blessed I don't have type 1 or type 2. It doesn't mean that I can, it'll come upon me. I've come to understand that. But I've had loved ones that were taken because of complications or because I thought maybe they didn't know. So that's why I'm just so glad to be here today. You know, because I have special guests with me today that are going to lay teachings at the feet of our people. The podcast is called Decolonizing Diabetes because we didn't have it before. So we're going to decolonize it. That means we will try and eradicate it out of our people. And also the goal is to educate those with diabetes and their families and friends and also the children so this won't be around anymore. That's my prayer. That's my hope. You know, so that's what the podcast today is about. There will be a series, you know, called Decolonizing Diabetes. And um, the wonderful organization that's with us today, the National Indigenous Diabetes Association, they have contacts of people that can talk about diet and different things, and those will be in the future podcasts. But today, my first guest you know, is going to speak to us. And her name is Dr. Karen Hill. You know, and I I just say that name. And I wish my granddaughters and great-granddaughters were sitting with me. I'd say, see that lady? You can be like that if you work hard. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> role models are so important in our life. You know, and we, uh, we all need them. I had role models. So, Karen, I'd like you to introduce yourself to the people about your, you know, how we introduce ourselves. We talk about family and our nationality. And also, but while you're introducing yourself, I'd like you to share with us your journey 
coming into medicine and the work that you do today. Mm -hmm. Okay, Nyawa Jerry. Um, sego sewaguego galana uwe yangyats ganingahaga ni wakonjora waganyata oswega nigiro. Um, my given name, my Mohawk name is Galana Uwe, and that means um, original song. I'm Turtle Clan Mohawk from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory in Southern Ontario. And I feel so blessed to be here. It's just amazing. I just love the words that you shared this morning. Um, that honoring of each other is so important. Um, and so thank you, thank you very much for that. Um, I'll just share, you know, sort of how I came to where I am today. <laughs> and I'll preface that by saying, um, you know, as a medical doctor, um, I am an indigenous medical doctor. And what that means is that I worked, um, I did two trainings. I did one training in um, learning the Western medicine and learning the Western ways of looking at um, illness and disease as well as health and wellness. And when I finished that training, then I started my training looking at all of those things from an indigenous perspective and how do my people uh, the Haudenosaunee people um, look at health, how do we look at wellness, how do we look at disease, and how do we look at illness. And <clears throat> that is how I work um, in my own practice. And when I work with people, I work bringing those two things together. And the reason to me that that is so important is because exactly what you said, Jerry, at the beginning, is that those, those three ways that you described, mind, body, spirit, and how we were well and we were healthy, those are not things in the distant past that are gone. Those are things that are still alive and well and living inside of each and every one of us. It's in our DNA. It's part of who we are. And when I look at the work at diabetes itself, um, I, I look at it as a physical manifestation of how the story of what we've been through as nations of people, how that story has affected our spirit, our being, because we've brought it in, we've brought it into us. And when you bring a shadow in, you can't see what's in the shadows. And what's in the shadows is the truth. For me as a Haudenosaunee woman, as a Ganyangehaga woman, our truth is that our, our, our creation story tells us that our ancestors came from the sky world and that we came with that star DNA in us. We came with all of the knowledge and all of the giftings in this body 
and in our character that would lead to us having a good life and a whole life and a joyous life. But that shadow of the story of what we've come through overshadows that. And so the work I've done with people is to try to help them to shift that shadow and shift it out so that the truth of who we really are can come back to the forefront. The health is within us and it's not inevitable that we'll all get diabetes. And from a Western, um, you know, from a medical point of view, I've, I've said that to my colleagues. I've said, you know, Western medicine has been very good at telling us that we are gonna all get diabetes. And the way that's communicated is, you know, posters, if you have diabetes, do this, you know, prevent diabetes, make sure you're doing these things to prevent diabetes. But the underlying message that that has given a lot of our people is that it's inevitable. And I would even hear that from my patients, even young kids, a 12 year old boy, when I first met him and asked, was asking him, how is your health? And he, he was talking to me and he said, well, and I don't have diabetes yet, but I think I, I probably get it when I'm about 25. I was shocked. I said, what? He said, well, yeah, I figured I'll be about 25 when I get it. And that just really whoo, stuck with me because I thought there, there's the problem that the effects of this colonization are our choice. We can choose how they affect us. We can choose that, you know what, this shadow came, but what it's done is it, may, it has made me look underneath to pick up those roots that are gonna bring me health. Without that shadow, maybe I wouldn't have honored that, those roots so much without it. So it's changing, it's changing our narrative it's changing our perspective, not just about the Western perspective, which is also good because it is important how we treat our bodies, right? So that goes hand in hand. So when I talk to people about how do you nurture those roots that you have, you and that's epigenetics in the scientific terms, what do you bathe your genes in? Do you bathe your genes in stress, um, anxiety from worrying about what has happened to your people or your family? Or do you say, you know what? I'm still an Ongohoi person and I still know the truth of who I really am and bring that forward. And then that's what you bathe your genes in, right? I'm eating healthy. I'm eating my people's own food. I'm eating what we know was good for us then and is still good for us now. That's what I choose to bathe my genes in because the expression of illness and wellness comes from what we bring into our being emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically, the food how much we, how we use our body. Are we moving it? Are we letting it do, you know, just like if you leave a car sitting in your driveway for months and months or years, it's not going to start or move, right? Same thing with the body. Yeah. So that's, 
that's where I am now is teaching people that it's, we can bring who we are into everything that we do because it is who we are. Don't be afraid, even as a doctor, don't be afraid to be bringing my own teachings into my practice. I have a right to do that. Even if sometimes my college of physicians and surgeons, you know, I can't worry about what they understand. I have to know, just know what I know and bring that in. Yes, yeah, so you're literally empowering the people where they participate and choose in their own life how to be yes. healthy. You know, all of the guests I call, that come to my show, Teachings in the Air, I call them treasures of their people. You know, because when they come here, they come here to share. They're medicine. They're literally medicine. So I have a man with me. And it's so good to see the men come out. You know, because in my history, I'll be honest, I went to communities right across Canada. And always at the forefront were the women with their mothering instincts and how they care for people. And I'd see the odd man come forward. We have one here. I know he's been probably just by talking to him a few times, he's probably been forward all his life. But I'd like to introduce you to Treffery Deerfoot. And Treffery, can you please introduce yourself to the people in the manner that you're comfortable with? Good morning, uh, everyone. My name is Treffrey Deerfoot. Uh, my Indian name is Deerfoot. I take that uh, on behalf of my family and my ancestors who were very accomplished in, in uh, the Blackfoot culture and Blackfoot world. Uh, I am uh, here wearing two hats. I am an elder for the National Diabetes Association and I am the chairperson for Sacred Tobacco. And I've got a very aggressive campaign with uh, Alberta Health Services the Canadian Cancer Society, uh, ASH, um, which are all uh, people very uh, uh, involved in, in these tobacco and how we want to bring back the sacredness of that, that, that plant that is so very instrumental to the foundation of us as Indigenous people. Uh, I introduced myself in my language because that's my first language. That's where I come from. And uh, the happiness that I got in my life comes from my childhood. If I asked anyone, when were you the most happiest? Most of us are going to say when we were young. When we didn't have to worry about the roof over our head. We didn't have to worry about the food because we knew our parents and grandparents were providing. They provided the clothing for us. They took all of the essence of our lives to make us into a good human being. And so as I got older and I come out of uh, uh, the military and university, I thought to myself, when was I the most happiest? And it was when I was a little boy with long hair. I grew my hair out again. I have earrings like my grandfather so that I would be able to hear the good things I need to hear. 
And uh, so this is what I bring back, saying my rosaries this morning, one twist of the hair at a time, praying for community, for family, and lastly, for myself. So that's why I come here today. Uh, I'm a rancher, and I work for a lot of number of uh, organization. But what I'm most content with in my life is I have ceremonial bundles. I have ceremonial bundle, and I was the leader of the straight-up headdress amongst my Blackfoot people. I've got piercing on my body. I have to defend those when I come across my uh, my creator, our creator. And I do uh, venture working in tourism to promote our ways to the world. So I, I am on uh, some of the commercials of Travel Alberta, bringing the world to our community. So the sacredness of our culture is very important to me. As a young man, I listened to my grandparents who raised me. I listened to my parents that worked so hard and left me with grandparents because they had to go off and work. The tough times of our people. And at that very time, I was also introduced that if grandma didn't bring me to the residential school, she's going to get thrown in jail. Mm. So then my world was uprooted by the residential school. I started to be oppressed right as soon as I got there with my hair being chopped off and you know all of my ways, even my language being forbidden. And I, I, I became known as someone that was kind of slow because I was registering all of my knowledge in the language not in another language that was foreign to me. So as I moved forward in my life, you know, uh, I have many regrets about what happened at residential school. And a lot of things happened there, you know, separating the men and the women, you know, my relatives on that side, my woman relatives. So in our native world, we're, we're, we've got man and woman growing together, supporting and helping each other. And as you get older, you find a partner in life to support you. And we were also introduced to, to maybe the male being more than the woman, which is not in our culture. The woman was always held up highly as we go to our ceremonies. We couldn't start the ceremony without the woman. So all of those things, you know, were, were altered in my way. And I also know that in later in life, my, my parents, had diabetes. So I worked even harder to be physically fit, but we don't understand how that diabetes sneaks in. Today I live with diabetes. So as I sit here, I can speak to the daily activities of, of in, insulin injection, uh, pills, quite a few pills that I have to eat daily. And then I have to do my blood pressure. Because in six months, every six months, I go see a doctor. And I know if I've been eating banana cream pie, my favorite, I'm in trouble. Eh? <laughs> because the doctor says, your blood is all out of whack. You've been doing something not too good. Eh? And so, so a lot of our, our culture has been uprooted. And I think the salvation for us as Indigenous people is we need to go back to our cultures, the way our ancestors cooked the food, 
not frying everything, but boiling the meat and adding vegetables. You know, those are the the, the true nutrition that that made our grandparents to be over 100 years old. My grandparents were all in their mid-90s when they passed away on both sides of my family. But unfortunately, my father did not make it as far because of residential school, the abuse. They opened this, this, well, let's compensate these Indians. So they knew how to expose the womb, but they didn't know how to heal the womb once they exposed it. So uh, that was uh, a devastating story to my family, that my father couldn't handle the bad stuff that happened to him. Now, I think we could stay there if we want, but we could draw a line there and say, we want a better future for ourselves. I really like what Karen had to say. My hat goes off to you. You are making a difference. And, it, and it, it's only maybe one person in our family that can make that transition and help the rest of the family by being an example, by standing up and saying, enough's enough, you know? So, I mean, I, I spent yesterday with my grandkids teaching them how to fence. We got a lot of resistance, but at the end of the day, I took a picture of me and the grandkids in front of the fence. That was an accomplishment. You know, that little accomplishment is gonna stay with them when they get older. That my grandfather taught me something. And that's why I am here, because my grandparents taught me something. Our elders are our greatest teacher, our greatest assets. We need to visit and get those goodness back into our community. So a lot of times, uh, I live with my mom who's, uh, who has mental health issues. And, you know, I have home care that comes in. They're just pushing me to move my mom into a, a home. That's not our way. The people that love you are going to take the best care of you. Not somebody that's driven by money and has to do it for money. So, so these are the things as we look at diabetes, not just only diabetes, but every asset in our life, we have to be cognitive and make those good judgments and put the good things in our life. Because I have to worry about what I eat every day. You know, I have a story about a good friend of mine. He asked me to go to the gym with him. And unfortunately I had obligations with family. So I was gonna be a little bit late. And I tried calling him, he didn't answer. So by the time I got there, an hour later, I found him in front of the TV with a bucket of chicken and a big two-liter uh, drink, eh? two-liter two pop. He was disappointed. I disappointed him. And wh where, was his, where was his compensation for that? A bucket of chicken and Coke, you know? So we, we try and use food to, to harbor that, that bad feeling that we have, eh? So we need to change those. So, so part of that is being communicative, communicating, communicating to other people what's wrong in their life. You know, I, I go play hockey. The guys want to go out and have a drink and have a good time. But sometimes I, you know, I have to say no because my health is an issue, you know? So those are the balances that we have to make as we go along. 
And uh, thank you very much, uh, Jerry, for including me uh, in this conversation this morning. And I think there's more to be said, but uh, I'll, I'll share the table with my good friend, Karen, here. Thank you. Oh, thank you, brother. It's so nice to hear you, you know, share, because when we become people hear our own, it, it goes mm -hmm. to their spirit. And that's what I hunger for, because we've had people, I tell people, we've had people literally help us to death, you know, <laughs> and to make it culturally relevant so our people hear it and feel it. Uh, Karen, we've been listening to our brother Trev here about his journey and about insulin. I looked up the word diabetes in the dictionary, and it's referring to like a siphon or sugar or something. You know, where the, I get interested where the words come from. So I'd just like to ask you on your medical training, uh, you know, what is that, this that comes into our body or what happens? How does this diabetes thing work in our body anyway? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is it? You know, yeah, we have what is it? <laughs> That's the best question. And now I refer you for sharing um, um, what you talked about. Um, you know, it's funny because in medical school, you don't really learn enough about diabetes. It's a very, very complex, multifaceted, they call it. Many, many different things come into play for diabetes. Um, and so it's, it's many things. It's, there's a physical component, which you know, medicine, Western medicine is very good at looking at that, that physical part, but then it's also those other things. It is, there is a mental part. There is an emotional part. There is a spiritual or energetic part as well. And I think um, like from a physical part, from a physical point of view, what I've come to learn diabetes is in the body is it's really a problem with the liver. And the liver is the way this, the way it was described to me is you say that the, let's say that the liver is um, the liver is the big sister and the pancreas is the little brother, right? And the pancreas is what spits out insulin and helps us to uh, manage blood sugar when it's out going up in our, in our bloodstream, right? And the liver the liver's job is actually to metabolize the sugar that we take into our body. So the way it was described to me is if we say the big sister is the liver, the pancreas is the little brother, the parents go away, they go away for a weekend and they leave big sister in charge of her little brother and the house. And as soon as parents are gone, big sister decides she's going to have a party. She's going to invite all of her friends over. She's like 17 years old. She's going to have a party, have a big celebration. And little brother is like, no, we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to. And little big sister says, ah, be quiet. I'm inviting all the party people over. So she does. She invites all her friends over and they are playing video games and cooking. And maybe they're having a few drinks or whatever it is that they're doing, right? That they're not supposed to be doing. And then... In the morning, the little brother wakes up and the house is a mess. There's garbage everywhere and food in the kitchen and it's just a mess. And little sisters, up, big sisters upstairs sleeping. So 
little brother, who's the pancreas, he just goes around and he's trying to clean everything up because he doesn't want to get in trouble. But mom and dad show up home early and they see the house a mess and they see little brother cleaning up. So they blame little brother and they say, what have you done? Why is this house such a mess? Your sister's upstairs sleeping and you've made a mess down here. And little brother's trying to explain, well, I didn't make the mess. I'm just trying to clean up. That's how diabetes is in the body. It's really the liver. The liver's job is to metabolize glucose is the real name for it as opposed to sugar. The liver's job is to metabolize that sugar. And what it does is it metabolizes it and it will, you know, some of it needs to get used right away by your cells for energy. And some of it will get stored away for use later. But what happens is if, um, if we're eating, say we have a big steak and uh, mashed potatoes and gravy and yellow corn and a bun and a piece of cake. So we've just eaten a whole bunch of protein and fat with a whole bunch of glucose or sugar. The liver, its preference is to first deal with the fat and the protein. But you've also eaten all the gravy and the mashed potatoes and the cake and the yellow corn. That's all sugar. That's all glucose. So the glucose is just going up in your body and the liver's not doing anything about it because it's busy trying to deal with the fat and protein you fed it in that steak. Because that's its preference is to deal with that first. So as it's trying to deal with that and the sugar's going up, the pancreas kicks in and it's trying to clean up. Little brother's trying desperately to clean up. And little brother can do a good job. He does a good job. But as time goes on, as parents leave every weekend and this keeps happening, little brother starts getting tired. He's like, I can't keep up. I can't keep up with cleaning up the mess. I can't keep up. And it starts to, to poop out, right? We lose what we call beta cell function in the pancreas starts to, starts to leave. So then this pancreas can't keep up with the mess anymore, but we haven't stopped. We're still doing this. We're still eating, you know, fries and gravy with the big old hamburger, right? And the liver is gonna always start with metabolizing that fat first and protein and the sugar from the bun and the gravy and the pop is just gonna go up and the pancreas is like, ah, I can't deal with it no more. I can't, I can't deal with it no more. The other part that happens in that is that the cells themselves, every cell needs a little, um, has a little key on it that insulin clicks into and opens it up so that then the glucose can go into that cell and the cell can use it in the way that it's supposed to use it for energy to create what we call ATP. And that ener that's what energizes every little cell to do its job, whatever the cell's job is, right? So the other thing that happens because there's so much uh, glucose running around, 
but there's also high levels of insulin running around because that little brother's trying to clean up all the time, right? The cells start to mistrust what's going on. They're like, there's always all kinds of insulin. There's always all kinds of sugar rolling around. I'm not even paying attention no more. And they become insensitive to the signal of insulin because, they're, it, because the cells themselves get overwhelmed. So it's an imbalance. It's an imbalance that happens within the body between the liver, the pancreas, and the, the communication to the cells and with the cells that keep everything in a good balance, right? And then we start to get into trouble. We, 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 we um, develop diabetes and we develop those things. Um, there, and there's consequences with diabetes because as the level of glucose in your bloodstream is high, it's like silt in a river. If all of a sudden a mountain you know, has a landslide and all the silt and dirt goes into the river, what happens to it? The river deposits that silt along the banks, which is just like our, our, our blood vessels. It deposits that extra sugar along the banks of our blood vessels. And that is what leads to a stiffening of the arteries and high blood pressure, clogging of the arteries around the heart or in our circulation, most oftenly in the parts that are at the farthest ends like our feet and our fingers, but also the, the arteries that lead to our brain. That's why strokes happen around our heart. Of course, that's why uh, heart attacks happen. Um, so there's consequences when things go out of balance, then that also impacts other things. The other thing for, I think, indigenous people that is important is it's also that story that I talked about earlier. And whether we believe this story of what happened to us is who we are, or whether we believe what we know to be true about who we are. And the way I explained it earlier was the creation story. So I know that that's who I am, that I am what, what I'm told I am. I'm, a, I'm, I'm part of creation. I'm connected to everything. I have everything in my DNA and in my being to help me to live a good and healthy and happy life. I'm not this story of the residential school. I'm not this story of the oppressed indigenous person in Canada. I'm not this story of um, the, the Indian that, had, that was the problem, right? That had to be dealt with. I'm not that person. I'm not that person. That's somebody else's perception. That's somebody else's thought. But the other thing I think that's important for us to know about diabetes is that those, those thoughts about, yeah, but we've been through this and I don't trust, I don't trust those doctors. You know, my grandmother died. As soon as she went on insulin, they cut her leg off and then she died. Um, all of those stories, they lie in the energetic field that connects us all. And when we continue those stories in our own thinking, we continue to feed that story in the energetic field that connects 
all of us. That is collective trauma. That is collective spiritual trauma and pain. And our responsibility, every single one of us, is to change our contribution to this story. It doesn't matter what the residential school did to us. It doesn't matter what Christopher Columbus did to us. What matters is what we do to us. So when we change our perception of who we really are, we no longer feed that story that tethers us to the illness for all of us. Because this energy between us, we all know we're connected to each other, right? Science does experiments in that super collider at CERN, the CERN super collider over that borders France and, and um, uh, Switzerland. That's what they're looking at. They're looking at the original start of ma matter. And what they find is that when those things come together and they splinter, they're still connected by the energy between them. We are connected to everything in creation. We know that. So if we continue to contribute to the illness story, the illness dialogue, the illness energy that bathes all of our nations around the world, and that story continues to tether non-Indigenous people to the story that we're less than, right? We tether those white people to that story as well. So our responsibility is to change our own story so that we feed into it something different. Yes, the created identity started right at the beginning. Yes. They're, they're devil worshipers, they're crazy, they're lazy. All of those messages that we internalized, and we when we when we swallow something, we become it. It's like when I swallow swallow some moose meat, I become part of that. Moose becomes me, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I just like to. I know. Uh, I don't want to lose Treffrey right away. I wanted to ask him about because I just heard from you, and I have new understanding. My late cousin had to have stints put in his heart. And I, I didn't relate it to diabetes. I thought maybe it's because all the Chinese food and stuff, you know, the food that we eat, that was, it's probably part of it. But what you just told me brought me new understanding. But Trevory, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about the emotions because you live with this. The emotions you went through when you found out and what happened with you, you know, because I've had relatives that went into deep depression just because they have diabetes. So what happened with you, brother? Well, I was, uh, I was uh, always, uh, I would have never made it through school without playing sports. So as an achiever, it made me an achiever. So when I left school, I continuously played sports. And I thought I was pretty healthy. And, and then in, oh, about eight, 10 years ago, I got the, the notice from the doctor that I was a diabetic and immediately put me on the the plan to recovery. And, you know, sometimes I'm, uh, I'm really good. And then some other times I'm uh, my, everything is kind of rocked about. So for me, 
you know, it's an emotional ride. You know, every six months you have to go get a checkup. You know, and you're thinking, you know, you know, hopefully this one's better than the next. You know, my father passed away from it. That you know, and you know, like I said, could have blamed the residential school, could have blamed any other thing. But he drank himself with the diabetes to death. I have a mother who raised 48, 49 foster kids after she raised her own kids. Now she's uh, has mental health. But there's a woman that has beat it or has control of the diabetes. I don't think you ever beat it, but has control over it. She's been off of uh, diabetes pills for quite a while now. Eh? The diabetes stuff has shifted. And we're now we're more concerned about her mental health. And, you know, for a woman that raised that many foster kids, you know, a kind, generous woman who our mothers represent, you know, so now I'm like, who do I blame for the mental health? You know, so we, we, we always want to blame. We always want to blame. But our foundation teaches us our creation story we've been talking about. You know, two buffalo bones tied together, clay, buffalo blood, four times with the creator's breath into us, brought us to life. And wanted to create a, a, a partner for this man. So he took one of the man's ribs and another buffalo bone, tied it together, clay, buffalo blood, and with his own breath. So in essence, we're, we're made by the creator in his own breath. So as a young man, I rodeoed a little bit and you know, like I wanted to be like the cool guys that put chunks of tobacco in your mouth and spitting. Oh, did I ever get into trouble? My grandma told me, don't do that. Have a little more respect for your body and, and on top of that, you're going to make other people sick by that, that spit. And my grandma never had a microscope to see what life, if we put a, our saliva under a, under a microscope, you're going to see all of the living, living things in that, that saliva. And that's how our, the doctors start to identify what is wrong with us, eh? that very essence of just exploring that. Grandma did not know about that, did not have any science teaching. She never went to school. But her natural understanding, her parents, grandparents taught her the essence of life, just even in that saliva that I'm spitting out of my mouth. That's how powerful our culture and our history is, is we need to resort back to that. And, and uh, Karen was talking about that new formula, creating your own formula, you know? And that's right. We got to go back and take what was really good for us in our history and culture. And there's some stuff right now. Some of that stuff is good. Some of that stuff is good. We take the best out of that. We draw another line and we move forward with the history, culture, you know, and I and I listen to both of you, and I just have to 
you know, at times I wished that I'd heard you before, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I could have supported um, some of my relatives that were taken by this. You know, but when I was listening, and um, you know, about the heart, uh, the different things that happened, because everything is connected in our body. As soon as we put something in there, it does something. Mm-hmm. Could be positive or negative, depending. You know, and our for myself, you know, I had to change my diet for different things. I became allergic, you know. Mm. The thing about it was my health improved, though, <laughs> you know, because I had to give up something that I just come to love, like the comfort food. You yeah. know that we talk about the fries, a bucket of chicken, and stuff like that. You know that became yeah. that became the comfort food. So I feel that our people, perhaps, don't understand. Have an understanding about that real, true statement of we are what we eat, mm-hmm. and how to help them change that. Because me, when I changed. Once I knew I was allergic to a certain food, I didn't want to have it anymore. I didn't even mm-hmm. crave it or wish for it because mm-hmm. I had this direct connection of what it was doing to me, and I got it. And it was mm-hmm. easy for me to give it up. So in your experience with families and communities, this whole idea of um, prevention or maintenance, what have you found that... You know, you're. I'm so glad to hear you because you talk about relevance and our old teachings. So I've talked to my relatives about diet. It seems to go over their head like they're saying water off a duck's back. You know. <laughs> so how 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 have you sort of approached this? Well, um, I guess I'll just share, like, I'll share my own story because okay. I did do develop type two diabetes. Um, it's been, oh my gosh, it's probably been about five years now. Um, and I keep it managed well, um, through what I'm eating. And I've done a lot of work to do some healing around my own thoughts about, you know, who I am or who I'm not, um, to help myself. And in my own journey, um, I realized that I have an addiction to sugar. I have an addiction. And when I say sugar, I mean, glucose, carbohydrates, that's sugar. And so I started to look at that. And I thought, what is this? Like, why, why am I? Why am I addicted to this? And I know I'm a doctor for crying out loud, right? I know the food I'm supposed to be eating. You know, I know about healthy eating. I've taken um, even extra training, um, both with traditional medicine and traditional knowledge, but also around what's called functional medicine. Um, So I've done a lot of training around, you know, disease prevention, health maintenance, and yet I still develop diabetes. And what I looked at was, I I wasn't honest with myself. I wasn't being honest with myself that I had a sugar addiction. So then I started looking at that. Why am I, why do I do that? Why do I, why do I have that drawing to that? Right. It's like what you said about the bucket of chicken. Right. And, 
as I looked at it from a scientific point of view, um, what I what I came to understand is um, how our own system works, right? Like how our brain, in our brain, we have a reward system and it is neurochemicals. So it's like when we do something really good as a kid and our parents or our aunties or our uncle or whatever say, good job, that was wonderful. Or I love that painting you did, that's so beautiful. It, it in, in our brain, in our reward system, certain neurochemicals are given off that make us feel really good. They make us feel that, you know, that feeling, that feeling that we get when you pick up a brand new baby and you look at that baby and you get that feeling, right? It's like, oh, it's so beautiful. That feeling, feeling so good. That, that feeling so good is what gets um, diminished in when we're living in that story of what has happened to our people, mm -hmm. right? We, there's a lot of things we don't feel good about. And even every day, the things that, that happen to us, even like in Ontario, we have the status card, you, have, you can show it and they don't, you don't have to pay the provincial sales tax. So even when you go to the store and you show your status card and the, and the, the person behind the counter goes, all right, you know, that, right? That, that, that does something, right? In the Bible, they say flaming arrows, right? It does something. There's a little something. And most of us every day, there's something that happens to remind us that in general, the world does not see us the same as them, sees us a little bit differently. So that, that natural reward system starts to get eroded right from the time we're really little. Because maybe, yeah, like in my life, my mother would always say to me, Karen, you're so smart. You are so smart and you're a beautiful girl. And I remember thinking in my head, I know my mother saying that because she's my mother. Because I was being teased at school. I was being bullied at school. We were always the only indigenous people at the schools I went to because we traveled all around. And I just thought, you know, my mom's lying to me. I know I'm not beautiful. I know I'm not good enough. So what happens, and this is true for any kind of an addiction, Something in our life, for me, it was when I was a child, sugar, you know, I used to put ketchup on bread. That's like sugar on sugar. <laughs> and I would eat that and I just loved the taste of it and I loved it, right? But that was just, that's a sugar addiction because that feeling that I would get like, oh, I, that makes me feel so good. It's false. It's not real. And that carried into my adult life that whenever I was feeling, um, you know, not well, sometimes I don't even know consciously what it is that's bothering me. I'd be like, I'm gonna get a hamburger and fries tonight and I'm gonna have a milkshake, you know? It was like that, that's, and, and I never stopped to look at what that behavior was. So when I started to look at that and I recognized I have a sugar addiction and there's an actual study that was done 
where they used these little rats and they were giving them opioids. And those rats really quickly learned which water jug in their in their little cage had the opioids in it and they were going there, right? Or no, it was cocaine. And they were going like crazy to the cocaine. They didn't even bother with the other water, right? Then what they did was they switched it up and they put um, sugar in the water and they put cocaine in the other water with those same rats that were already addicted to that, to that cocaine. Very quickly, those rats stopped drinking the cocaine water and they started drinking the sugar water because sugar is a very potent um, stimulator of that reward system. And so if you tie that to diabetes, right? If you tie the history that we've had as indigenous people and how we're, we're experiencing those negative things every day and it diminishes our ability to feel good of the simple things in life that our, our culture taught us, right? Watching a little flower open up, so beautiful, right? But not anymore because that starts to get diminished. And then we find something like sugar, which is rampant in our current way of eating and it hijacks that reward system. And before we know it, we are dependent. We are, our body is dependent on that sugar rush to feel better. That sugar rush also comes from trauma, uh, uh, you know, drama. We see a lot of our people living in this drama. They've got the, um, in my community, they have the police scanner so they can hear every time there's an accident, every time something's happening, you know, oh, did you hear that uh, Mary Jane's sleeping with Jimmy Joe's uh, husband and right all, all of that stuff right all of those things are hijacking our natural reward system and that is such a potent system and because that system is part of our primitive brain right so we have a triune brain there's a tr there's a primitive brain that is designed to keep us alive and survive right? It's the survival brain. So we know you touch something hot, boom, you don't touch that no more. We know that when you, um, you know, um, things in our environment that, um, that reward us, right? Like I made a good shelter and had a good sleep. That's what I'm going to keep doing, right? It becomes an automatic, like a reflex. We don't even have to think about it. It becomes a reflex. So those reflexes, which are part of our, our reward system now, we just start doing those things and we don't even know. We don't even realize what we're doing. That's why we see so many of our people continuing. I remember seeing a patient with a big Slurpee. Yeah, we eat healthy all the time, Dr. Hill. We never eat bad stuff. And I was like, um, <laughs> what's in your hand? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's just a drink. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, it is so unconscious to us in our mind. It becomes part of our, it becomes part of our background operating system, just like on your computer, right? And then the other part of it is, is that our body, our physical body is our subconscious mind. It's in our body. So when something happens, 
you know, say we, we, you know, say we do, we walk into the store and the person behind the counter just reminds us of that nun from the residential school. Our body immediately moves back into the trauma mode it was in when we were six years old. Brain disengaged. Subconscious mind that's held in the body, it's in control now. And then that's when you see people behaving out of that uh, trauma. You see that trauma behavior, right? Maybe they're aggressive. They want something. They don't know how to ask for it, right? They do, they're like, I I'm bringing this thing back. Maybe they're returning something to the store and I'm going to get it no matter what that person says. Automatically, they move into that defensive survival mode that they were in back then. And then that trauma brain kicks in. So it, it, it manifests on many, many, many levels. And then hormonally, neurochemically in our body, all of the stress hormones are spilling out into our system that raise our blood pressure, raise our heart rate, mobilize all the stored sugar that's in our body, dumps it into our bloodstream and our sugar goes high again. And sometimes we don't even, we feel normal. We, we don't feel anything, but it's what's happened. Our body, our body moves into that mode. We may not even be aware of it in our mind. As I was listening so, to you, I was saying to myself, my name is Jerry and I'm a sugar addict. Because <laughs> 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 I, I, I went to... A, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Jerry and I'm an alcoholic. You know, and it helped me stop, you know, it helped me to start processes. Now when I say sugar addict, you know, because, you know, I just, in the last month, I've stopped putting sugar in my coffee. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't drink coffee without sugar before. You know, I had, it's like I, I went together, like, that makes sense, right? I know my tea has sugar in it still. I'm like, please just let me have this one thing. But I haven't eaten white sugar in about 35 years. Okay. Okay, <laughs> we're, we're getting close to our hour and 20 minutes here. And I just wanted to ask both of you to, um, you know, pretend that you're talking to a group of people that are really close to your heart, you know, and uh, you're afraid of them because of diabetes. What kind of message would you give to them? And I'll start. I'll talk. I'll start with um, our brother Treffery. You know, just imagine, like, oh, thank you for letting your 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 mom. You know, I, when I seen her, I thought about my granny right away, and my heart just swelled and warmed. It's like a gift. It's like mm -hmm. on a Zoom once um, these people were worried because all of a sudden an infant comes on. I said, no, no, I see a child. I haven't seen it, been near a child for a year, you know, <laughs> trapped in the house with my wife. Anyway, Treffery, what would you, what kind of message would you give to people to to help them? You know, because this disease causes dis-ease mm -hmm. in the whole family. Even if one or two people get diagnosed, the rest of the people, you know, it causes disease amongst us too. You know, so what kind of message would you give to people about this diabetes? I think I have to ground that one by way of, uh, we all only have one mother. That's where we came from. That's the essence of who we are. Uh, I take care of my mom out of love, out of knowing what kind of sacrifice she made. I know many times 
She could have been unhappy in circumstances of life, but she would get up and pray and tell us how beautiful day in a happy mood, even though she had trauma before that. That's our mothers. That's who our mothers represent to us. We all only have one mother. And uh, the woman was given such a high stature, the giver of life, by essence of the creator giving her that power. So if I were to help someone, a close relative or someone, I would go back to foundation. I would go back to the animals. We were created to be the caregivers of the animals. On Turtle Island, the, the beaver and the otter went down and they got clay and put it on turtle's back. The water birds went down and they got seeds and put it on turtle's back. Then man was created and woman to be the caregivers of those animals. And the animals were there to be our teachers. All of our characteristics that we, we see, you know, how to take care of communal, right down to the, the connection of mother and child. And that happens, I'm running a ranch right now. Every day I learn off those animals. They're giving me something to incorporate into my life and give me understanding. That's what the animals give us. They give us a lot of lessons how to move forward in our life. You know, we were talking earlier about understanding the distinction between our relatives from different territories. I think we talked about how we do our hair. We Blackfoot, we part our hair on the side. The Sioux part their hair in the middle. And then in the, when we encroach in each other's territory, we know by the sand in the ground who it was because of how we make our moccasins. We know encroachment happens. And we protect our territories. We're not landowners. We protected the territory that was going to feed us and bring us in through those harsh winters. Those are, in essence, what we learn from nature and from the animals. The creator gave us all of these. So as we move forward, as we're looking how to better our life, well, we have to look at our cultural and traditions to move forward. Our ancestors made a lot of sacrifices to leave us here, even when uh, the dominant culture at the time was pushing us to do away with our ceremony, our language, all of that. But that's our salvation too because that teaches us about our diet. I used to love going to, uh, to grandma's on Sundays, eh? And it's Sunday, I knew I was gonna get a traditional meal at grandma's house. You know, but you know, our, our, our grandparents, our parents are our teachers, they guide, they guide us. And it was when we move forward, they don't tell you you're bad, you're going down this road. Because if they tell you you're bad, you're going to out, act out bad, eh? But if they tell you there's hope, look at your uncles, look at how they're achievers. 
it starts to make that look really beautiful for us. That's how we want to live our lives. And that's why we have mentors in our culture. That's why we have people, spiritual guides. You know, sometimes we forget, you know, we want to have the most beautiful Indian name. But maybe we just need to look at our ancestors, those achievers that made sacrifices for us to be here. So when I talk to, I've, I mentor a lot of men um, and uh, where uh, I bring in elders and then I bring them out of the community for an activity. But when the elders come in, they're always telling them about bringing the family together. And a lot of these men are hurt because the justice system, the social workers, all of these people that we count on are keeping the family unit apart. And then the elders tell them, the only way you're going to survive is if you put the family unit back together. So as we look at, at our, our brothers, the animals, you know, they teach us, you know, and you know, we're not perfect people. Creator said right away, we're not perfect people. We have to start always giving the power back to our creator. And so the answer to healing for me is in, extent, is in that essence of spirituality, calling on the creator to help us because we can't do it alone. We talk about the things, our addiction. No addiction is more powerful than our creator. You know, so that's what I leave today for other people to follow is to call upon him. I lit my smudge. I said my rosaries for my community, my family. And lastly, I included that I'd be a good teacher today, that I would say good things. And as I was smudging, I smudged my mouth, my nose, my eyes, my ears, my brain, and my heart. And lastly, my arms, that I do the good things that I'm supposed to do today. So that's the message I leave today, Jerry. You know, I've been very thankful that I've been inclusive of this work and hopefully even more into the next uh, podcast that we hope to, to speak to this a little bit more. You know, uh, you know, we think an hour and a half is a lot of time. It's not a very much time to, to share the goodness in our heart that we want to send to our relatives. So thank you, Jerry. Oh, thank you. Okay, uh, Karen, you're going to close us off here with um, your message to the people with diabetes or the ones that you don't want to get diabetes or <laughs> what's, what's going on in your mind and spirit now in your heart? Um, I, what's, what's coming to me um, as I was listening to Trefri speak is it's true. We, have, we all only have one, one mother that, that borns us into, into this earth. But we also have a common mother and that is the mother earth. And that for everything that's in this earth is what's in our body. We're, we're formed from the same stuff, the same DNA, the same spirit energy is in us that's in the earth. And that is our, that's our main connection. That's our big connection. And our relationship starts with this earth, this earth that is our body. This is the piece of her that was given to us. 
just like the piece of creator that was given to us in our breath and our spirit. This is our piece of our mother right here. And being able to honor, um, honor this body, honor this piece of earth is where we start our journey. And we can use our songs and our teachings and our ceremonies to help us, to help us to get to that place of honoring who we are so that then we can honor each other and this earth and creation and bring back into balance those things that will support that for our future generations. I find like that was the message that I was given in, in my search for who I was. That was the question that I was asking. Who am I? Who am I? Because I was shown when I was struggling to quit smoking, believe it or not, years ago, I kept struggling with it and I kept asking for help, for help, for help. And what creator told me in my spirit was, you don't know who you are. And I thought, what? And the other thing I was told was stop fighting. And I thought, what, I'm just supposed to smoke <laughs> and not fight. <laughs> but, you know, cause that's kind of the way I talk to creator. I'm like, what do you mean? And so I started thinking, okay, well, if, if I'm not supposed to fight, what is it that I'm supposed to ask? And then the, then that came to me, you don't know who you are. So then I started asking, show me who I am, show me who I am. And I don't know how many months had gone by of me praying that prayer and asking that question. And I was given a dream. I was given a vision. And in that vision, I was shown my spirit left my body during a ceremony um, that, that was happening in the spirit realm. They were, these people from Africa were doing a ceremony for me. They were taking me into the water and I was struggling. I was fighting because I thought I was going to drown. And that same voice said, stop fighting. And so I said, okay, fine. I'll stop fighting. And as soon as I stopped fighting, my spirit went into, went up into the universe. And what I was shown is that I am part of everything. When I was with the stars and when I was with the planets, they were so happy. They were so glad to receive me. And they, I remember they were all clapping and they said, we're so happy. We're so happy that you know who you are. We're so glad that you're here. And then as, as in the spirit, the spirit being took me around the world. And as I looked on the earth and I saw trees and animals, I saw every kind of thing in creation that there was. And I remember clearly being shown a blade of grass. And as I looked at that blade of grass, I was the blade of grass at the same time. And I was brought back around until I could see myself in the water with these little African men and their whole community standing on the shore singing for me. And I went back into my body. And when I woke up, I never smoked again. And I continued to pray 
for the fullness of understanding of that vision I was given. And it comes into play now, right? That I did meet somebody from South Africa a few years after that. And she told me, I've seen that ceremony. I've been to that ceremony. She said, I know what that ceremony is. I said, what is it? She said, they did a rebirthing ceremony for you. That's what that was. They were rebirthing you back into creation. So I'm just a baby. I'm only about seven years old now <laughs> since that since that vision. But it did show me, it started me on that path of, of really um, honoring this body, honoring this earth, this part of my mother, this part of my father that I carry. That's what I would tell people. Ask that question. Who am I? Oh, thank you, both of you. You know, that it's a reminder of what Indigenous is. Honor, respect, love, knowledge, all of those laws. It's when we broke our own laws, I was told that we started to get in trouble. You know, and we start to find out who we really are, that we're from, like you say, from Mother Earth and from the stars, and to really feel connected. Then we'll not abuse ourselves because mm -hmm. I'd learned that I abused myself with alcohol. Alcohol wasn't abusing me really. When it entered my system, it was hurting me, but I was the one that picked it up. Mm -hmm. You know, so I asked my, my, I just like, I'm just so happy to hear both of you. And it's been an honor. And I, you know, my prayer of course is, is that, um, especially our youngsters hear this because, um, I, I know today the validation of our way of life needs to be there because of assimilation and all of those things that happened. Like you're saying, we're not colonized, we're not this, we're not that, you know, those labels that have been put on us. Mm -hmm. But to accept yeah. our true self. I have a mixture in me, you know, I had some Spanish and Irish in me, but the foundation is Stetlium. And that's what yeah. I rely on because that's what I know. Yes. You know, so... All, all of you, oh, gee, I'm just so proud of you for your journey up until today. And I look forward, we can have another conversation on this, maybe to close off these series. But, um, you know, we need to lead the people to knowledge, mm -hmm. to understand so they can take action because they understand. Because yeah. we're told, you know, people are used to this finger waving at them, you know, you do this, you don't do this, you know, and that. And whenever that happens, we're like teenagers and we resist. But I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Cooks and Callip and Schnook Nook. I'm just saying thank you and raising my hand to you.